for your warm introduction and well, for the invitation. Very, you're very, very welcome. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about you and your work. Uh, I know that in addition to being a poet, you're also a translator. You're also an educator. Um, tell me, your early influences. Uh, do I recall a story about your, your, was it your grandmother used to, play rhyming games with you? Well, yes. When I was little, I remember, you know, uh, in the north of Romania, when I used to spend like two summer months uh, there with my uh, with my grandparents and we had this kind of game with my uh, with my grandmother and uh, we were just walking somewhere and we had to uh, speak in rhymes. And I think it's something that she had a really impressive, uh, you know, t- uh, inborn talent for, for this. So I think she passed something on to me from, from that. Now, that's pretty, a pretty special memory. Um, now, when you uh, were a young woman and uh, uh, did, you, did you write in your teenage years or did it come later that you, you became uh, what I'm going to call a regular writer, a writer who writes regularly to uh, Well, mm, to I think it's somehow linked to my biography. I started reading uh, writing in my, in my teenage years, and I started reading poems in, in Romanian. Obviously, I'm a, I'm, I was born in Romania, and I lived in Romania for the first 24 years of my life. And uh, at university, I started publishing in, um, in different uh, literary reviews and magazines. I started publishing poetry, and I was about to publish a, a poetry book, but I left um, I left uh, for Spain to live there for good. So it's been like 24 years, other 24 years here in Spain. And then I stopped um, writing for a while, and I started writing in another language, which was Spanish. Um, things that I kept for myself, like for a long time, maybe for 10 years or so, because I felt there was something wrong about having changed, you know, my, my mother tongue. 
in in writing. But well, I've come to you know to assume this fact and to look at it like my my normality somehow. But well, I, I went a little bit away from your question. I did start writing in in teenage years. I, I started writing poetry by then. Um, you answered it beautifully. Uh, I was going to ask, you know, uh, I, I would say to, to the outside observer that when you write in Romanian, there is one audience for it. It's a, uh, a relatively uh, small country, and uh, yet, of course, has strong roots in, in, in you know, the Mediterranean diaspora. And, and now writing in Spanish, you speak to a much, much larger audience. Uh, the Spanish-speaking audience tr- is from South America and North America and uh, uh, parts of Europe as well as parts of Africa. Um, do, you, do you find yourself um, addressing a different kind of concern or a different focus in your writing than when you were uh, writing in college in Romania? Mm, well, that's a really good question, actually. Um, first, what I would like to say is that, well, Romanian is a small language. I started writing in Spanish, which is obviously a huge language as far as number of um, speakers uh, is concerned. But I, I just want to say that I didn't choose, you know. I mean, it was somehow that the language chose me uh, at that point. I mean, I felt totally fell in love with the Spanish and Latin American literature and poetry above all. And um, I learned it as if it were my own, and I think it's my own now. So that's, that was the change. But I think you're, you're right when, when you speak about, um, when you write in a language, I mean, if you turn to another language, it's like having a new identity somehow. And if you have an, an, a new identity, you say different things. And you feel the need of saying different things. Obviously, the poetry I was writing back in Romania, like more than maybe 30 years ago, uh, has maybe nothing to do or le- very little to do with uh, what, I've, uh, what I write now. But in, in essence, there is a kind of um, spiritual quest somehow in my, in my poetry, which has always been there, I think. And I don't really focus on, on uh, for instance, uh, in Romania and in, in Spain, uh, the kind of poetry that's being written nowadays, there are a lot of differences. We could talk about this uh, for, for, a long, for a long time. But I think I've been like somehow, um, um, I, I've, I've just conserved myself the same teenager, even though my poetry has evolved in in other ways i want to add something else um i i i started writing in romanian then i went in i went to spanish and i published i even published a book in catalan which which is another latin language and which which is like romanian a very small language and i can tell you that uh, what i said at the beginning that you're uh, it's as if you're discovering parts of yourself you didn't even know they existed. It's it's a kind of quest, inner quest. Uh, this this travel, no, <laughs> um, among Absolutely. languages. Absolutely. 
I, I want to tell you a funny, funny little story uh, that I had um, occurred to me in uh, working as a young man in in Spanish. I I was fortunate enough my early education I. Uh, got a year of Spanish when I was just in elementary school, my very like, first grade. And uh, we, we wrote letters to exchange with students in the Philippines. And so I had a, an early taste, even though I grew up in an area, Pennsylvania, where there weren't a lot of Spanish speakers. In fact, I would say it was a very, very uh, uh, underused language. And then later, when I in my teenage years, I moved to Miami, where of course Spanish is a very popular language, and uh, I got a chance to take a few months of uh, intensive Spanish uh, living in Miami because I was working in the entertainment field, and it was very important to speak to musicians and stage hands yeah. in Spanish. Um, and so I've always had a very special spot in my heart for Spanish. And uh, when I was studying with a woman who uh, spoke a very high, um, I think it's high Castilian Spanish. Uh, she was yeah. from Colombia. And uh, she, she, she paid me a compliment when we were writing our little essay. She said, you, you write like a poet. And I said, well, I, I'm not entirely surprised because, in fact, I'm a poet in English. Well, many years later, I was producing a series of events um, to celebrate St. Valentine's Day. And I called it Salute to Love. And uh, among the things, we would do uh, poetry readings in colleges and in cafes, and we put on plays, and we had a group of discussion of philosophers uh, all talking about love. And a local bank, this is, this is where it gets funny, a local bank said, Richard, we have a balcony. Could you do a scene from Romeo and Juliet? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> so we, we did a little scene from Romeo and Juliet. And the following year, they invited me back again. And they said, you know, would you do something? I said, absolutely. But I decided to go in a little different direction. Because this bank served a very large Hispanic uh, population. Uh, in fact, it was out in the farm district. And these were young farm workers who almost entirely spoke Central American Spanish or Mexican Spanish. And unfortunately, in, in Miami, there is still friction between the non-speakers of Spanish and the speakers of Spanish in some areas. And this is one, this is one of those areas. But so, so I staged a reading from Don Quixote, one of the, oh. the, the love poems to Dulcinea, right? And you have to imagine row after row after row of people queued up to speak to a bank teller to cash their little farm workers' wages. And in the middle of this great big, you know, impressive bank, as banks tend to be, um, here's my poet friend standing in front of a large six-foot-tall heart, my prop for the show. And he started reading this love poem to Dulcinea from Don Quixote. And I asked him to read it in Spanish because I wanted to transform that moment for these agricultural workers, right? Because they literally came right from the field. And, and here they're hearing this Spanish, this elegant Spanish, just like uh, Shakespeare language, Shakespeare English to the American ear or to the English speaking ear. And, and at first they were kind of giggling, 
And then they <laughs> relaxed and started listening. And the smiles, because these people, while they are part of the economy, they're part of the community, they're, they're still suffering a lot of discrimination. And, yeah. and for them to hear Spanish, their own language spoken so beautifully, so eloquently by a poet friend of mine, it was, it was a transformational moment, right? So I'm so ecstatic. I'm just thrilled to death because I'm seeing smiles on these farm workers like they probably haven't smiled in a long time. And after this was over, and I'm, so, I'm just pleased as punch, the, the bank manager comes, calls me over and he says, Richard, I'm very disappointed in you. I was expecting Shakespeare. And I said, sir, this is, <laughs> this is a form of Shakespeare in Spanish. <laughs> seeing that your your clientele is largely farm workers who speak Spanish, I thought this would be a way of of reaching out to them. He said, "That's it, no more." I did not oh. want Spanish in here, and I just thought, "Oh, you poor fellow." <laughs> but what? Yeah, but what matters is actually that moment then. When that magic moment, when great literature, be it Shakespeare, be it um, Cervantes, that happens and and changes people's lives. You maybe you changed lives lives there, and you don't know it now. It, it well, surely I know touched, I touched those some people's lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Now I understand that you studied Spanish in school quite a bit. So it worked out very well that now you're living in Spain. And um, you write in Spanish, you write in Romanian, you write uh, in English, too, obviously. Um, you know, let me ask you this. Uh, do you, When you're thinking about writing a poem, um, I would think that the language is kind of intrinsic. It's part of the choice to write a poem, what language yeah. you're going to write in. Is that true? Well, what you said before, I... If translation is writing, and it is, so maybe I do use all these languages, but um, I mean, my my language of creation is basically Spanish. Ah. Um, my, so I don't, I, I rewrite the poetry I write, I rewrite it in Romanian, and then I publish it, publish it in Romania. And, um, and with Kaplan, it was, um, it, it's, I mean, I, I would explain, I will explain it because it's, uh, it answers your question. Um, here I've been like for 24 years, uh, as I told you, living in, in Barcelona where it's, uh, it's Catalonia and, uh, the language is different than Spanish. Spanish coexists with Catalan, which is the language of the, of this land. And um, I started, I wanted to learn Catalan very well because I always fall in, fall in love with languages. I mean, if I went to uh, Vietnam, I would fall in love with Vietnamese and I would learn Vietnamese. And I'm sure about that, you know. So I started translating because I needed, you know, to master the language totally, uh, uh, the Catalan language. And, and, and I did quite a few translations. I translated different um, great Romanian poets. I, I always translate poetry as a choice because that's what I just want to do. I don't uh, usually translate prose. And um, many people were asking me, uh, well, not only why don't you write in Romania? This is maybe a question to be asked by a kind of psychiatrist. 
<laughs> but um, why, do, why, why don't you write in Catalan as you live here? And I said, well, I don't know, but what I'm not, I'm, I, I just write in the language that chooses me, that com- the poem comes to me in that language. I can't do anything, you know, about it. And it happened. I mean, after, after 24 years of living here, last year I published my first book, which came to me totally in Catalan. And it was, I didn't want to choose the language somehow because I thought it might be um, it, it might be that as honest as it is when when it comes in that language to you uh, like given you know as if somebody were dictating the poems to into my ear. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, now we've talked for a few minutes. We haven't yet heard one of your marvelous poems. One well, one to tell us. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one which I have. Um, it's it's a non-published. It's it's not in any of my books yet. Um, and um, it's a poem. You you said something before about uh, the the accent of a person from Colombia. You said, and I would uh-huh. like to dedicate these poems to all the people in Colombia now you know there are like riots and there is a lot of sure. a big problem in in Colombia and I would like to dedicate it to them so I, I've just translated it into English I hope it sounds all right in English but I'll read it first in in Spanish um, and then I'm going to read the English version I've, I've just translated okay or do you want me to do it the other way uh, better dear, in English first any way you'd like to do it so I prefer to do it directly in Spanish uh, and then Wonderful. in English. It's called uh, In the Center of Your Eye. En el centro de tu pupila. Algo que alguna vez has hecho, has dicho o has pensado está teniendo sus consecuencias ahora. Aquella rama de cerezo rota, un girasol arrancado y luego olvidado la lluvia que un día llegaste a maldecir, aquel deseo de hacer desaparecer en un instante los mares y las montañas y llegar antes de tiempo ahí donde creías que todavía bailaba el amor. Incluso lo que no haces, no dices o no piensas está teniendo sus consecuencias. La flor que nunca riegas la belleza del jardín que encuentras donde esperabas ver tierra y erma, esa belleza que callas, los maizales, caminos abiertos que ahora ya no recuerdas. En el bosque los árboles se derrumban bajo el peso de la tormenta y los pájaros prenden fuego al nido con sus alas incandescentes porque tú ya no sabes detenerte para imaginar lluvia. En el mar, las ballenas flotan a la deriva y tú ignoras que sus vientres podrían haber dado a luz aquel mundo más justo que ya no ansías. Bajo tierra, los topos han perdido el apetito y sus presas se pudren como los sueños que ya no persigues. No hablo de culpas. Lo que intento decirte es que es justo en el centro de tu pupila donde se está quemando el Amazonas. And in English, the poem says, actually this is a poem I wrote 
when um, when there were those fires uh, burning uh, the Amazonas. Hmm? Mm-hmm. So it's called in the center of your eye. Something you once did, said, or thought is showing its consequences right now. That broken cherry tree branch, a sunflower torn up and then forgotten, the rain you cursed one day, that wish of instantly making the seas and the mountains vanish so that you can arrive ahead of time where you thought love could still dance. Even what you don't do, don't say, or don't think is showing its consequences. The flower you never water, the beauty of the garden you discover where you expected to see just wasteland, that beauty you keep silent, the cornfields, open paths you can't remember any longer. In the woods, the trees are crumbling under the weight of the tempest, and the birds are setting their nests on fire with their glowing wings, just because you don't know how to stop anymore and you only imagine rain. On the surface of the sea, the waves are drifting, and you ignore that their wombs could have given birth to a better world you stopped wishing. Underground, the moles have lost their appetite, and their preys are rotting like dreams you stopped pursuing. I am not talking about guilt. What, I'm tr- what am I, I am trying to say is that it is right in the middle of your eye where the Amazon is now burning. Beautiful. Really beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> so maybe the translation can be, can be bettered at some point, but well, I hope <laughs> it could be well understood. <laughs> I'm you know, sure. translators, translators are terrible people. They are very, they're, total perfectionist i mean um it's it's lucky that you have you know that moment when the publisher says you have to hand in the book because if not you would go on and on and you would change a coma and a word and another synonym you know you know what i'm talking about oh sure <laughs> um a writer I, I, also I, does this. well i have written a lot of technical manuals where you strive <laughs> to use just the right word, just the right phrase to describe something very practical and very concrete. I can only imagine what acrobatics you have to go through when you you are honestly trying to capture the nuance as well as the ambiguity of poetry. Yeah. Yeah, you have to capture the voice of the of the poet and then and then translated to to the um, transported to the other language and it has to you know it has to be there the energy of the of that voice it has to be there so um obviously it takes some work to do that <laughs> <laughs> i would i would argue it takes a great deal of intellectual energy that's for sure um now let me ask you one other question about translating because i i i you know to undertake the translation of artistic writing is such a Herculean effort. Um, 
the question of how does one address rhyming? Obviously, rhyming doesn't translate from language to language. So I suppose you just try to catch the feel of it. Well, um, uh, you, you're talking about rhyming. Um, obviously, no, nowadays it's like more blank first. But oh, I'm, sure. I'm now, now I'm I'm doing. You know what? I'm I'm doing a translation of a uh, hundred years of Romanian poetry. I'm making an anthology of Romanian poetry. And I started wow. with writers, with poets uh, that start writing like at the beginning of the last century. So obviously there is a lot of um, of rhyming, not only rhythm, which is always even despite the blank verse, obviously, but uh, there is a lot of rhyming. And, and what I do, um, there are there are like different options. What you, uh, rhythm it's always there. It should be because if not, I mean, uh, all that um, um, articulation, uh, that, that organism of the of the poem, it doesn't translate into the other language. But with rhyming, sometimes uh, I what I do is I, I maybe compensate somehow uh, that mm, the rhymes. Um, I'm. I don't uh, use them always because use them when it doesn't sound forced, you know, because some, at some point they sound very forced, but you can compensate it uh, with, uh, with, a, with a rhythm and you keep the rhythm along the poem uh, in the same way. And if, if the rhymes are not forced and, and because sometimes, you know, with, the, with Romanian and Spanish, um, they may work as being romance languages but maybe from a different language as, as coming from from english into into spanish uh, i think there is a little bit more difference than than with a with a latin language so um i'm not um for that kind of translation that doesn't take into account uh, the rhyme you know uh, and the music of the poem i i think poetry is also music uh, yeah. So not not only meaning. So I always I'm really concerned with um, with this somehow formal part of the of the poem in in when I when I translate. Wow, wonderful, wonderful to hear you articulate these challenges to the translator. Now I, I see uh, books named Early Eternities intermittencies where love from you've chosen some very interesting titles um, I know when I choose a title I, I'm trying to uh, take a snapshot of, of some of the work in there or at least some part of it um, I was curious about your title early eternity could you talk mm -hmm. about that choice <laughs> yeah um it's interesting what you're saying this taking a snapshot um of of a certain aspect you just need to magnify somehow and uh, and where the essence of that uh book might be and uh, this this poem this title early early eternity um comes from a from one of the poems um and, and I thought uh, it would uh, it would somehow represent um, what I wanted to to, trans to transmit in in that book, um, and it would be somehow the idea of that that there is something um, that escapes 
um, despite our escapes us somehow, uh, despite our lives, despite our wishes, despite I mean there is something which is uh, which is set like uh, <laughs> centuries ago, and 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 I it is for me it's like a kind of quest you know to go back to that feeling to that previous feeling where everything can happen and and where poetry actually happens and where. All lives start. I don't know if I can. It's a very complicated concept to explain, but I think I, yeah. I hope I manage somehow. Well, it's, it's funny when uh, often when I'm out in the world and uh, someone apologizes that such and such an action is taking time or, or that they apologize because, um, you know, it's taking longer than they had hoped or that sort of thing. I say, you know. We only have eternity because I think while it's true that our lives are very finite and very, very limited when you look at the, the eternal sense of the universe, I also think that our minutes, our seconds, uh, these moments are what we make of them. And they can either be marvelous, joyous explosions of now, or they can fly by so fast because we're not paying attention. So I, I yeah. try in my own way to remind people that take time for your life. It's okay, you know. Uh, often the the commercial world places such incredibly awful burdens on us to try to crank ourselves into these little crooked paths. And I want to say to my friends and to the people that I meet, you take your time. There's time That's- for you. That's what we have to, you know, all, all our cells in our body have to get to know this somehow. And, and then <laughs> there would be a lot less problem, problems in the world, you know. Well, I, I think that you encapsulate with early eternity a very wonderful juxtaposition of, oops, is it time or <laughs> there is... <laughs> There is no constraint. I, I I love that <laughs> metaphor. And then I don't then, have and, I don't have the poem in in um, in English though. I just have it in in Spanish. It's written in well, Spanish, and there is no other translation by now. It's it's well, uh, from from that book. So I just have it in. Well, may, maybe there is a translation actually in in Romanian. May, I might have the translation in Romanian if, if I find if that book. It, and if it's not too onerous a task. I would have you read it in any language you want, my dear. Good. So I'll I'll try to see if I can have it. I have it in Spanish, obviously, because it's written That's in fine. Spanish. That's and fine. then I have it in Romanian too. So I'll read it in, you... in Spanish and, and Romanian, maybe some say try to translate something. That's it's, um, fine. This early eternity is like a, a sequence of poems. They have no title. And uh, this is the third part of it, and it says, Fue allí, en los brazos abiertos de la montaña, donde recordé la muerte por primera vez. Aún diviso el valle eterno que se abría a mis pies, como una boca sedienta, como un útero reverencioso sumido en tu silencio, único muerto que siempre caminas a mis espaldas. En este sueño ya no se oyen tus pasos, La muerte es la vida, Padre, y todas las células de mi cuerpo viven incrustadas en esa temprana eternidad. 
And in Romanian, it sounds like this. Maybe for the audience, hearing Romanian could be could be sure. nice to hear a language sure. that is like phonetically so different. A fost acolo, în brațele larg deschise ale munților, unde mi-am amintit moartea pentru prima oară. Încă zăresc valea eternă ce se deschidea la picioarele mele ca o gură însetată, ca un uter reverențios cufundat în tăcerea ta, singurul mort ce întotdeauna pășește pe urmele mele. În acest vis nu se mai aud pașii. Moartea e viața, tată, și toate celulele corpului meu trăiesc incrustate în acea timpurie eternitate. Um, actually, to, just to give a little bit of a hint, it's a poem which is directed to the father, and it ends saying, "In in this in this dream, I can't hear your steps any longer. Death is life, father, and all the cells of my body are living, just like stuck. I don't know how to say the word stuck or in that early eternity." Very nice. Or to listen to us to 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 be able to understand a little bit, you know, what the what the poem is about. So that's where the title of this book comes comes from. But you say it's complicated to give a good title to a book. It always takes for me a long time to <laughs> to think about it. You know, the first book. Can I can I read a poem from the first please, book? Please. Uh, the first book is called A Thousand and One Death. And it's obviously it's a long it's a, it's a lot of death, a thousand and one death. Uh, but it's because it's a kind of um the book it was written after my mother's death, years after my mother's death. At the beginning I couldn't face it somehow in writing. So I wrote I maybe wrote it like ten years after. And um and the title um, it's because um, it, I, what I try to do in this book, A Thousand and One Death, is to make a personal death, make it plural, and uh, so that the book serves to other people who, who read it. And, and, I, and I know it serves because, for instance, yesterday I had a call from somebody I, I really admire, and she told me, uh, she read the book, and she, it was like a kind of comfort for her. And the title actually has to do with a thousand and one nights, the Arabian nights, which sure. is uh, translated sure. into Spanish, a thousand and one nights, because it was one of the books my mother would read to me when I was small, you know, in, before oh, going to bed, it. she would like read it um, uh, every night. And I thought it would be like a double meaning for the book. Sure. And, you Wonderful. know. Today, I don't know, you, you are like, a, apart from being a, a poet, and you, you're like a wonderful human being, and I feel so comfortable with you, you know, and I never do this. I never read the first poem in this book, which is called, Now What Should I Tell You? I never read it in public, because I think it's a kind of um, dedication. Yes, dedication yes. Uh, to yes. uh, to my mother. So I never read it, but today I feel like reading it. So I'm going to read it I'd in Spanish, and, I, and I'm going to read it in in Romanian then. And this is a poem which is um, made like um, keeping a ver uh, the same um, rhythm, like in every verse. And it says, "Ioi, que te diria, 
so I dedicated it to, to my mother. Y hoy, ¿qué te dirías si te me aparecieras? Que sueño con tus manos tapándome los ojos mientras besando muda caminos ya olvidados. Que deletreo el miedo en bosques muy cercanos. Que digo soledades asidas a tu ausencia. Que el trigo ya cegado persiste en la memoria herido de amapolas. Que el olor de tu risa se rasga en la orilla. Que lloro en silencio debajo de tu noche, que nazco cada día de la misma placenta dormida en sueño firme de quien nos da la vida. Que vacié la casa y pinté las paredes de blanco y de olvido. Que ya nadie te sabe, no queda ningún rastro. Lo guardo todo dentro, quiero que esté a salvo al menos para siempre si falta el por ahora. Pero sigues ausente. Nada puedo decirte, me queda solamente vivirte en un poema escrito en alfabeto que arranco del recuerdo, con tinta ya indeleble en muros de leyenda que no se me derrumban. Los traspaso atenta, sin falta de milagros. Un poema que ríe y llora y se enfada, un poema en que vivo más libre que en la vida, un poema en que muero cada vez que renazco. Now I will read it in in, um, in in English, and then maybe we can close with my reading in Romanian, so that my mother understands it. Understands it. Please, <laughs> I don't know if, if, in, if in death we forget about all the languages we know. So now, what should I tell you? And now, what should I tell you if you come to my dreams? that your palms in my sleep are covering my eyes when silent I come back from now forgotten roads, that I spell all my fears inside clothes and deep woods, that I speak loneliness woven within absence, that wheat after harvest wounded by red poppies persists in memory, that shadows of your laughter break, rough, break roughly on the shore, that I cry silently under your starry night, that I'm born every day from the same placenta, fast asleep in the dream of who gives life to us, that I emptied my house and I painted the walls in white and in oblivion, that now no one knows you, there is no trace of you. I keep you inside me and I give you shelter at least forevermore, if now it's not at hand. But you are still absent, nothing I can tell you, One thing is left for me, to leave you in my poems written in alphabet here from, your, from remembrance, with indelible ink on walls torn from legends that now never crumble. I cross them so alert, with no need of wonders. These poems are sad now, they either laugh or cry, poems in which I live freer than in my life, poems in which I die as I'm born every day. Beautiful. So this is a dedication to, to my mother. And what do you think, uh, Rick? Should we, should we end it in, in Romanian? Oh, well, Or I don't think we, we have no time it just yet, but yes, please read in Romanian, certainly. You Okay, or or is it too much to read it in, in three languages? Not at all, <laughs> not at Good. all. 
Iar azi ce ți-aș mai spune dacă mi-ai apărea? Când vis, palmele tale mi acoperă ochii când mă întorc tăcută de pe atâtea drumuri, că-mi silabisesc teama prin preașmă, prin păduri, că spun singurătăți prinse în absența ta, că grâne secerate dăinuie în memorie roșii de maci rănite, că râsul tău se sfarmă izbindu-se de mal, că bocesc în tăcere de desuptul nopții tale, Că mă nasc zi de zi din aceeași placentă, prea adânc, adormită, de unde vine viața. Că mi-am golit și casa și-am zugrăvit pereții, în alb și în uitare. Nimeni nu te mai știe. Nu ți-a rămas nici urmă. Te păstrez în lăuntru ca să fii la dăpost, cel puțin pe vecie, dacă acum nu se poate. Însă tu, tot absentă. Nu pot să-ți spun nimic, atât doar îmi rămâne să te trăiesc în versuri scrise într-un alfabet ce smulg din armintire, cu cerneală neștearsă pe ziduri de legendă ce nu mi se mai năruie. Trec prin ele atentă, de minuni n-am nevoie. Acum aceste versuri râd, plâng și se întristează, versuri unde trăiesc mai liberă ca în viață, versuri unde eu mor. Când zi de zi. This, this book was translated into Romanian by myself, and it was published in 2018. It was published in um, in a Transylvanian publishing house called the Scuola um, Ardeleană, um, under the title Omie și una de morți. I would like to read one of your poems to you. Oh, that would be wonderful. <laughs> That's a it's present. A, <laughs> it's a poem of yours entitled Because It Is Not Yours. Yeah, it's a poem that ends the first section of two th- of um, a thousand deaths, a thousand and one well, deaths. Yeah. It's a lovely poem and I thought it spoke to the infinite speaks of love and uh, it also addresses poetry in an interesting way so a little tiny gift to you because it's so not yours ah you're you're so welcome uh, a poem uh, written by Karina Opre uh, <laughs> and I have the great honor to read it to her it's called Because it is not yours. You don't know how to end this poem because it's not yours. It came to you one day full of silent, weary, absent poppies. It perched on your eyes, an absent-minded butterfly, and it dazzled you. But you felt its wings quivering, bewildered, far away. Today, its fluttering wings lights up your blindness. It speaks to you in a strange language made of infinite silence, like a green wheat field fast asleep in the sun. It confesses there are young dead who can still smell the humid earth. Dead who feel the touch of an embrace in the grass, bittersweet happiness that throbs beneath 
the skin of oblivion, the last and sacred desires of innocence, lost in one of many wars, or an atavistic hunger that seeps down into the roots together with the smell of freshly made bread. It also confesses there are all dead who cannot smell or remember the sense, dead who have turned into matter descending toward the center of the earth, where the life we have been reduces itself to a tiny dot that contains everything. You do not know how to end this poem because it is not yours. It is the poem of all those who lived life and death voluptuously, of those who know that the tomb is the only mirror that always gives back the same face. A poem that climbs up from the bowels of the earth, retraces its steps and its time, perches on your eyes, ephemeral, dazzling butterfly, and desperately asks you to continue it. Wow. Oh, how beautiful. What a beautiful reading. It's well, so my... interesting to hear your own poem in somebody else's voice, you know, because it tells you different things. Yes. I loved your reading. Thank you very much. Uh, it's my honor. I, well, I would like to have... say something about Please. about the poems in English, because I haven't said it before. Uh, the, this book, A Thousand and One Death, I translated it into English myself, with, together with uh, an American poet, um, an ex-Vietnam, um, um, I don't know how do you call it. Um, Vietnam veteran, typically. Veteran, yeah. Um, uh, Bruce Weigel, a very fine poet. I recommend you to read if you haven't yet. Um, so, um, and I'm very grateful for the translation uh, we, we both finally done, did. I think it's important to say who does the translation, you know. Sure. <laughs> well, if you can stay a little longer, I have no objections whatsoever. Would you like to read another? Uh, okay, so maybe we can change a little bit the um, the topic, and maybe we can do something else. We can go to the um, to to my book, uh, my um, the most recent book, which is the Hand That Trembles. It's a um, it's a book I it's the book I spoke about before, and I said uh, I wrote it in in Catalan, and it's a book where I what I do is. I try to reflect on this thing that is happening to me, uh, this life uh, among uh, languages, and um, and also on the on the language of poetry. Actually, is it the language of poetry? Uh, at, um, Certain language has it to what has it to do with our our mother tongues? Uh, so it's a kind of reflection, and uh, I, I just needed to investigate in this topic, so I wrote this, uh, this book, which is called The Hand Trembles. So I'm going to read from the second part, which is the, the, the second part is called The Hand That Trembles. I'm going to read a few, a few poems. They are like prose 
poems, short prose poems, and I'm going to read them in um, in Catalan and in um, and in Spanish, in English. Sorry. Um, the first the first one in the section it's a it's a poem in poem form, and then there are prose poems. I'm going to read that first one. La meva llengua es la teva llengua. La teva llengua es la meva llengua. Y no es que sigui un bascambi, es que si no faig de la llengua d'altri la meva llengua, m'esclaten magranes de vidre dins la boca. No només temo la meva ferida, també penso en la teva. My language is your language. Your language is my language. And it is not an exchange. It happens that if I don't make of the language of others my own, crystal pomegranates explode in my mouth. I'm not only afraid for my wound, I'm, I also think of yours. Atsurtan arugas dins la boca. S'alimenten de tot allò que voldries dir i et quedes muda. Sense neguit, però... Intueixes que aviat s'eixugarà la saliva i aixecaran al vol les papallones blanques de la llengua mare. Between caterpillars grow in your mouth. They feed on everything you would want to say, but you remain speechless. Impassive, you sense that your saliva will go dry and the white butterflies of your mother tongue will soon fly away. Entre la llengua i tu hi ha una membrana de la mida de la pell d'una taronja borda i penses que si el món i el temps s'anessin a l'inrevés, potser la pell de taronja s'aniria encongint i es tornaria flor, pètals blancs entre la llengua i tu. Una olor difusa tan sols, per ja no ser-te estrangera. Between language and you, there is a membrane the size of a wild orange skin. And you think that if the world and time were to go backwards, maybe the orange peel would shrink and it would turn into a flower, white petals between the language and you, just a diffuse fragrance that you can stop being a stranger to yourself. Beautiful. Tens la certesa que la llengua del poema és preexistent totes les altres que saps o has oblidat. You have the certainty that the language of the poem is pre-existent to all the other languages that either you know or you have forgotten. This is the idea of what I was saying before. I'll try to find another one. La llengua mare és una mar que et creix a dins. Cada poema escrit en una altra llengua és un suïcidi. Bellesa morta que sura i espera que algun dia la ressuscitis, tot i que no sé si en sabràs. The mother tongue is a sea that grows inside you. Each poem written in another language is a suicide. Dead beauty that floats and hopes that you will resurrect it one day, if you ever know how. Mai no has volgut parlar d'exilis. Tan sols d'altres llengües que t'habiten. Records que no reconeixes. Potser una manera com una altra de no deixar d'escriure. And I will end with this one, which says, 
You have never wanted to talk about exiles, just about languages that live inside you, memories you don't recognize, perhaps a way, like any other, not to stop writing. Well, I think I've read a lot. <laughs> well, you, you've read beautifully. It's been wonderful talking to you. Let me read one of mine as a small yes, gift to I, you. I, I, I please you. Well, you've spoken so eloquently of your mother. So I want to read this to you. This is called First Gifts. It's my tribute to mothers. Uh, To me, me, uh, there is no tribute great enough for those mothers that bring us into this world. So here it is, the first gifts. Yes, you welcome those babes at your breast. You gave them from your own life's sustenance. Thought first of them their pleasure, their pain, their need, then some other, then yourself. You brought them through the most holy, sacred gate they will ever enter, into the world and into a human life. It can be readily said you gave them the first gift before the gods at the cradle round bestowed those precious others You clothed them in flesh, gave them their first form. What cells and man and fashion could give, you gave first. Before your gift, there was nothing. And your giving self made every other giving possible. When that first cry is heard, it calls your name. When each searching hand first reaches out, it reaches out for yours. When you press the tiny lips to your breast and smell those first tender breaths, those sweet garden scents are meant for you alone. As tiny fingers first begin the long, lonely search, they search first for you. Never is this new being more beautiful than when seen with your eye. Never is the kind of blessing given that is given from your eye and your heart. No wonder the mother is so universally blessed. No wonder such special blessedness belongs first and last to mothers. She has given so much of her flesh and her heart. The first gifts. Wonderful, wonderful. The first gift. Really wonderful poem. Thank you very much. I think we can we can end our talk here. There is nothing else to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me live, my dear. It's been an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure to talk to you. That all that it's on my it's on my side, and um, thank you for the invitation and for for the listeners, um, and uh, and I hope to join you at some other time soon. Absolutely, 
Now you take care, my friend. I'm going to play a little segment of the interview we did the other day, and that'll wrap it up for this show. But I want to thank you for taking the time today. I know you have a busy schedule. Have a wonderful evening, my friend. The same to you, Rick. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Okay. You're very welcome. And uh, I'm going to play a little bit of music, and then we'll come back to this amazing, amazing soul. Uh, Wow. Uh, Just something very special. Oh, you know what? What the heck? Let's just play this uh, this segment. This was from an interview we did a few weeks back. Uh, this is, uh, again, Karina Opre uh, from uh, Barcelona. The Spanish nation, the Spanish culture, with its threads, both of the European root and the, the Muslim and Jewish roots, Uh, Of course, the Islamic influences in early Spain and then the the Inquisition and all that brought the expulsion of the Muslims. There is such a turbulent cultural depth to Spain. Um, And of course, in Catalan, and there, there are again, should we say, nationalistic tendencies and traditions and how how do you place yourself in that amazing history of those Spanish threads? Okay, so you mean literary, from a literary point of sure, view? Sure, sure. Um, well, it, it's true. I think I think the tradition, like the Muslim tradition, it's it's totally incorporated into the Spanish tradition by now, obviously. And uh, you're right that I live in an area which. Um, which actually is another country, it's a country within a country. Uh, Catalonia um, is a land um, that, where Catalan, the language, co- has coexisted with the, the Spanish language for, for many years. But I really think it's, um, it's a nation um, with its own language, with its own rights, with its own literature, and it's totally... Um, and it's very different as far as um, I mean, Romanian literature can be different from French literature or Spanish from French, you know. Uh, so I wouldn't say um, obviously there are like nationalistic tendencies, but I think it's like their own. It's like the right of the of the language to to exist. I mean, I would I would be really unhappy when I, I I am really unhappy when I hear about those languages far away in Latin America that they are dying with the last, you know, survivors. I really love languages and cherish languages. So my position is that, um, as you said before, a language is, is an identity. You said you are writing in another language. It's like having, putting a, another coat on your, on, on, on your back or, or, or a dre- getting dressed with another coat. So a language is an identity. And obviously for me, uh, writing in another language is like exploring parts of myself that I would have never explored so it's um, it's such a um, it's big uh, opportunity and and a joy and I have to be like grateful for this so um, my my position is like I'm totally for languages so I I, um, that's why I I just um, I, I could have made I could have 
have had the option, you know, of translating directly into Spanish because it's the, my, it was my first language. I've known Spanish for a long time. And then I thought, Catalan is a small language. Romanian is a small language. We have to do things, you know, for, for, for small languages. I'm, I'm like, my, my minor things, I think, are the some, sometimes very important things. Um, so I, I learned uh, Catalan in order to be able to translate and to bring into Catalan uh, my own literature, let's say. And, uh, and I think Catalan needs it more than Spanish, maybe, because Spanish is bigger and, and can take care of itself more than the Catalan language can. So I, I, I hope I'm like clear about my position. Somehow. Absolutely. Now, you know, we have seen time fly by, <laughs> and we haven't yet heard a poem of the delightful Corita. Let's fix that. Only, only one poem can I read? No, 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 no. You misunderstand me. <laughs> I only ask that you begin our journey into okay. this into Good. This so I'm gonna I'm I'm I thought I could do something like start with the first book, um, which is a book called The Thousand and One Death. And um, it's a book I wrote years after my mother's death. I'm never able to write like instantly after some impact or, or something like this. So it's a kind of um, intent, you know, to, to make plural a personal death. Um, and maybe I can, I can read. Um, the book has two parts. Uh, one, they're poems, and the other one are prose poems. And I think I'm going to read maybe from the second part, which are called Litanies of Voids. Um, I'm, I'm going to break one of my rules. I'm going to ask a delightful poet to read one particular poem, if, if okay. it's okay. No, no, please read what you intend to read. I'm not saying don't read that. I'm just saying add to it one particular poem from that book, the God is a Woman poem. I would okay. love to have you read that in your words. But so please, can, read what you want. Read what you plan. I can start, I can start with that. It's from the uh, first part. From the you're South a generous Indian. woman. You're so a I'm generous, start generous with, woman. with that poem. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you, that you asked me to read that poem. God is a woman. In my dreams, God has the face of a woman. She brings us all together in huge open spaces where she covers us with an ephemeral veil that never ends. And then we marvel at how wings grow from our shoulders. In my dreams, God has the face of a woman. With our wings, we rise and stay beside her in twos. Woman and man, man and man, woman and woman. And God looks into our eyes to know if our souls broaden to make space for him while we take advantage and review the concept of the Holy Trinity. In my dreams, God is a woman, inside and outside of our souls, all-pervading, almighty. But when I wake up, I can't remember if she, after all we know, incarnation, death and resurrection, pretends to save us too. Wonderful, wonderful. 
Now please read what you've selected because you are no doubt wiser in this matter than I. You know what? Uh, as you asked me this, I think I have to change my my idea. So I am... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to go to another poem, you know. It's from another book, which is called Intermittences. And, and you know, I, I, as I said before, that I started writing, and for like for many years, maybe 10 years, I never published, and I just had many poems there. I had like four parts, which were called all intermittences. And some were intermittences of the world, of death, of love, you know, and um, and then these are the intermittences of the words, of words, as we spoke before about words. And as I read this poem about God is a woman, the poem I'm going to read is like telling a story, actually. And it's called uh, Metamorphosis. And you're going to see why I, I thought about this poem. This could be a good way to go on, you know. One morning, a few lives ago, I woke up and decided to put myself to the test. I said, you will be a woman and a man, a fish, an insect and a bird, a mountain and a grain of sand. As those who enjoy reading the end of all stories before even starting them, I was a grain of sand lost in the inexorable infinity reflected in a permanent state of things. I was also a mountain forgotten in the unconscious of all mortals and I rested so deeply during all those lives that I felt tempted to be as soon as possible a man or a woman but I let things run their course and I was an insect multiplicity reflected in my telluric existence then I was a fish struggling between the atavistic comings and goings of waves that way of life made me shelter desires of height. And then I was a bird, unfolding my wings to the cadence of infinity. It was when I felt such admiration that I would engage in conversations with heroes who were capable to pass trial after trial till they conquered the realm and the beauty. I also decided to take a break. And during some lives, I was simply nothing. Now, I'm a man. Now, I'm a woman. Do not be surprised if I confess that I have been many men and many women, and from all those lives I keep dear memories, clearer than the soul of the very first words. I would never finish if I told you who I was. Women and men who had been grains of sand, mountains, fish, insects and birds, and an infinity of other things and creatures. Men and women lost inside lives which most of the times were not theirs. Men and women who nonetheless knew how to be and how to recognize themselves when their names were Adam and Eve, Orpheus and Eurydice, Romeo and Juliet, he and she, you and I. Marvelous. Absolutely marvelous. Thank you, uh, Rick. Okay, so I'll go, I'll go back maybe to my 1001 death. And I'm going to read just one litany of voids. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a lot happier in my daily life than in poetry. So 
<laughs> I said before, you know, for the for the audience. The poem says, uh, the prose poem says, like this. It's like this. It's number eleven in twelve uh, between twelve um, short poems. We are words that fill empty spaces with no before or after. We have abandoned all hope. We are turning into birds, crystal-winged birds that fall on the earth, damp with dread and despair. Birds that are born dead and can't remember the language they spoke before birth. Leaden-eyed birds that still long to drown inside of us, to spread infinite wings and make us fly towards the ephemeral that dissolves density in an instant and sets us free. We are the ethereal continuation of the beginning before void, void after. So you can see that my worry, preoccupation with words is always, it's constant through, throughout the, the book. By the way, that was lovely. Thank you. So should I, should I go to the next book? Oh, please. Uh, which is um, which is the the hand that trembles. In between, there is another book which is called um, An Early Eternity, but I cannot um, read any poem because I have no translation. Wait, 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 wait! Please read in Catalan or Romanian or whatever you choose, my dear. <laughs> maybe I can maybe I can read a poem uh, just a poem I mean Spanish from early eternity if, if, in, and please give honor to the Catalan language and read then one of your poems in Catalan book, which is a Catalan is written in Catalan I'll, I'll read uh, they're short very short poems so I'm going to read something in in, um, in Spanish so from early eternity which is a book which was published in in Colombia um, I'm going to read the, the poem which gives title to, um, um, not, not exactly the book, because in, in, uh, in Spain it, it's going to be, it's published under a different title, which is Where to Love From. So that's the, the title of the poem. And um, it's like, um, talks about which is the right place to, to write from and to love from, which actually they are the same thing, uh, I, I guess. Hay siervos en mi sueño. Sus ojos, guardianes del miedo, rastrean los bosques extraviados dentro de mis pupilas. Hablan todas las lenguas que alguna vez he sabido y yo los entiendo y me regocijo cuando el caos se me hace cosmos. Desde donde amar where to love from, desde un lugar de aire y luz que solo existe en la memoria, desde una infancia imaginada que palpita dentro de este sueño como el movimiento inalcanzable de una estrella. Las palabras duermen en mi garganta un sueño superfluo. Desde dónde escribir, where to write from, desde aquel verso incierto que al leer dejé de serme ajena, desde antes de cualquier comienzo, sin comienzo, porque jamás tuve un primer amor, porque jamás escribí un primer verso. 
the poem ends, I'm not going to translate everything, but it ends no. saying um, where to love from and where to write from. And it says, because I have never had a first love, because I have never written a first verse, a first line, let's say. Very nice. Very nice. And by the way, while my Spanish is a little lean, it was lovely. Your voice reading those was absolutely lovely. And I'm sure many in our audience will enjoy every nuance of your Spanish poem. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Wonderful. So we're going to go to the Catlin now. Please. Please, the, indeed. To see the, the difference. And, uh, well, as I said, this book uh, is a kind of reflection on uh, what it means uh, to, to leave behind your mother tongue and to, to, to live and write uh, in a different language, which is not yours by birth. Um, and and the, the book is called The Hand That Trembles. It's divided into three sections. The first one um, is... Um, called inheritances and the second one is the hand that trembles the hand that trembles comes from a, a quote by Dante um, in um, La Divina Comedia and actually it says that um, the hand trembles the hand of the artist trembles um, in the um, in the moment you know of the of the creation and it's the way it has to be because it's when you can um, you can do things that not even yourself know that you can you, you could do. Um, it's longer maybe to explain it, but well, that's the section, the hand that trembles, and it ends with um, um, with an, a last section uh, which is called trencadiz, uh, which in in uh, in Spanish will be something in English will be something like mosaic, you know, something like patchwork or something made by different parts. And I had in mind the metaphor, you know, of those Japanese kintsugi vases, you know, that uh, when you when they when they're broken, the 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 golden thread makes them even more valuable and and, and wonderful, you know. So yes. uh, I think telling you this, it would give you a, a little bit of an idea of what it means to, to be broken by living your mother's tongue behind and acquiring, you know, different identities through different languages. So from the first uh, part, they're very short poems. And um, the first one, I'm going to read it in, in Catalan, and then I'm going to read a few, a few short ones in English. It says, Tot was oblidat. Només recordes que eres allà dins. Quin allà dins? La teva saviesa es vol cercle que s'obre sí, sí, i es fa no. línia recta. És, és, Una dins que perdura. Deixa sí. la sang de la mare, sí. lletreig i el teu nom és, per sempre. Aguaita fins que l'esborant dins teus d'eixampli i pugui sí. saltar sí. la vida. Sí. You have forgotten everything. The only thing you remember is that you were in there inside. Which there inside? Your wisdom longs to be a circle that opens and becomes a straight line. A there inside that lasts forever. Let the blood of your mother spell out your name forever. Wait till the chasm inside you widens so that you can jump into the abyss. Two. You've grown close of light 
to tear them off that covers the root of the words. Four, you are the word doctor who's born every day from the blind throat of the first mother. Seven, you are a monster who devours the path without asking yourself what are the splinters now stabbing your gums. Nine, your grandmother on her knees near the bed in which you are still sleeping, a goddess lost in a strange language, in silence inhaling and exhaling the essence of the world before becoming a word. Here I want to say something. When I was a child, and it has a lot to do with my writing, um, when I was a child, my, my mother, uh, my grandmother, would, um, she had like, uh, she was v- very good with, uh, you know, rhymes and rhythms. And we would talk to each other, and I, we, we had to talk in rhymes, okay? Oh, how wonderful. We were walking together, and we had to talk in rhymes. She had, mm, it was so easy for her to do, to do it. For me, it was not that, that easy, you know? But I think I learned a lot at that point. Very um, nice. You you would have liked my grand grandmother a lot because you have a huge you know um, uh, feeling and sense of of language and of words and of playing you know with with words. I I can see that in your in your poetry. Well, it seems like it might be time for me to offer you a little poem that I wrote in tribute to your city. Great. Okay? When, when I was thinking about my good friend Corina and I was thinking about Barcelona, I thought, what, what little tidbit might I offer this delightful poet? And as I was looking from the map, from Google Maps of the world, and I looked at Barcelona, I saw the Barcelona Museum of Chocolate. And I thought that might be a little sweet to offer you. So this little poem. So I've comes never from been there, but after after you reading the poem, I can't say that. <laughs> so, the Museum of Chocolate in Barcelona. The Chocolate Museum and the Museum of Picasso. What sweet treatments give and forever live. In chocolate dreams are there, across and for a lark. We took Picasso there to compare. Pedestrian, bourgeoisie, he stomped his foot and stared until after cathedrals and Star Wars scenes, he saw a Toreador and stared. The chocolate chicken stopped him not nor robot carried, tarried, ferried, so much revealed, forgot. But staring there at bull and dare, his easel, seasel, popped, he stopped. The Lego city liked him not, the house of up let down, but the matador and the bull was more in store as he pointed horns, retired, imaginations fired, required the retired palette place this perfumed costume day. A giant dragon, eight foot tall, the cartoon critters, he saw them all. E'en the white chocolate ape and the jazz manscape forgave somehow. And the pigeon boy with the white chocolate toys and Sancho Panza's plight 
Quixote windmill astounding fright, St. George's prize, the African towers wide and chocolate bright, could not replace in this his faded grace and stated place the matador's disgrace. His darting brush with its sagacious blush applied just so was touch and go. The matador and the bull restored to their fighting sacred stance a glance. Wonderful. What That's poetry. I mean, so many associations here, you know, ah. uh, from Quixote, Picasso, um, Toreadors, <laughs> Barcelona and Chocolate. That's wonderful. You really have a gift, you know, with words and puns and, and, and double meanings and, and rhythm and rhymes. That's incredible. Well, Thank you so much. It's such an honor, you know, to have a poem huh. like this. You have to send it to me then. To read it You'll have it today. Quietly. You'll have it today. <laughs> what else would you like to read, my dear? Um, well, I'm going to try to be short because we don't have mm, much time. So I'm going to go... Only eternity. <laughs> I'm going to go to the second part of the book, which is The Hand That Trembles. And okay. I'm going to read some... Po, uh, prose poems, and um, maybe that's the way we're going to end everything, yes? As you wish. Um, the first one says, Caterpillars grow in your mouth. They feed on everything you would want to say, but you remain speechless. Impassive, you sense that your saliva will go dry, and the white butterflies of your mother tongue will soon fly away. The second one. Between language and you, there is a membrane the size of a wild orange skin. And you think that if the world and time were to go backwards, maybe the orange peel would shrink and it would turn into a flower. White petals between the language and you, just a diffused fragrance so that you can stop being a stranger to yourself. Another one. You have the certainty that the language of the poem is pre-existent to all the other languages that either you know or you have forgotten. The mother tongue is a sea that grows inside you. Each poem written in another language is a suicide dead beauty that floats and hopes that you will resurrect it one day, if you ever know how. You have never wanted to talk about exiles, just about languages that live inside you, memories you don't recognize, perhaps a way, like any other, not to stop writing. And the last one, you could say that your mother tongue smells of wild strawberries, of fresh coffee and of new books. But you realize that this would not be the whole truth. It also smells of long lines you have never waited in to buy bread, of bees swirling and of absence. And you cannot say mother tongue. You suppress the words and only say language. This or another, a sound to cradle you even though you know that your wounds will never heal. Beautiful. That's the 
second part, the way, the way it ends. And then it comes the part where everything, you know, <laughs> goes again, binds together. And maybe I can end with um, the, here. I mean, the book is actually kind of combination between essay and, and poetry. And uh, it combines in the last, uh, in these last poems, combines both of them, the, the poetry form and the like more essayistic uh, form or, or prose poetry. And it says, in silence, you contemplate the beauty of the wound, the gold of the scar. You sing an unexpected song of pain and joy at the same time. You make yours this silent glow, like the architecture of memories, hovering over the sandy certainties of perception. The amphora is the cave rediscovered, the heart beating inside your womb, the house of the soul. The sonorous void, the sonorous void inside each word of the mother tongue. In the sound previous to languages, language are all languages. In the sound of all languages is the memory you still have, hold of paradise. And there is also the dispossession of yourself. The traces of the wound are now essential to you. The unspeakable, which now binds you together, gives you both the right to speak and the right to keep silent. And now I choose the right to keep silent. Thank you, Rick. Thank you so very much. You have a wonderful day. I insist. I insist. So, my friends, you heard her live, and you heard a pre-recorded interview uh, never enough, Karina Apre. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this half as much as I do. And we're going to leave with a big spider back smiling.
Glad you could join us. Tune in again. This is Rick Spizak saying, have a wonderful eternity. Bye-bye.